Welcome to the U.S. Max Today podcast, produced by the Center for U.S. Mexican Studies at UC San Diego's School of Global Policy and Strategy. In today's podcast, U.S. Max Fellow and PhD candidate in public health at UC San Diego and San Diego State University, Teresita Rocha Jimenez, discusses homelessness and sexually transmitted infections in her talk titled, Homelessness and HIV STI Risk Among a Cohort of Women Sex Workers on the Border City of Tijuana, Mexico. Thank you everyone for being here. I'm gonna present the preliminary findings of this paper, which is my third paper of my dissertation project. And before talking about this project, I will talk a little bit about the general goal of my dissertation, so you can see how this paper ties up to the rest of the dissertation. So I'll give a general background and the motivations for the dissertation, and then I'll talk about the third paper. And I really would appreciate any feedback that you have in terms of how I'm, I'm framing this, the different variables that I have, and like overall feedback. So just to give you a little bit of background and the rationale for my dissertation project is that in public health, it has found that migration and mobility experiences impact individuals' health and it can impact individuals' health in a positive or negative impact. For example, if someone migrates, this migration may come with improved socioeconomic status, maybe with increased agency and social mobility, and this after may translate into increased access to health services. However, it has also been found that mobility migration has also negative impacts, such as disease transmission, mental health issues, because isolation and stigma after migrating, and also risk-taking such as substance use. And so having said that, the framework that I'm trying to include in my dissertation is that there's a lot of research that considers the three traditional phases of migration, which is origin, transit, and destination. And this responds more to a traditional economic migration, where someone was in their place of origin, needed to travel, and then arrived to a country. So there's a lot of research considering the different factors in each phase and how it impacts population's health. However, there is a need for more comprehensive research that considers something called interception phase, which was coined, has been used by different researchers such as Kathy Zimmerman. And the idea of this interception phase is that it considers non-linear or liminal process. So an example of interception is undocumented migrants or people who are in between places, like all the migrants that we have seen, the asylum seekers in Tijuana, that the intention is something, but at the end they cannot arrive to their destination and they remain in one place. So with this idea in my dissertation, I'm trying to consider these different or more complex migration and mobility experiences and to see if they determine or impact vulnerable populations' health. So the general goal of my dissertation is to identify the influence of a specific migration and mobility experiences on mental health and sexual health states of vulnerable populations. My main two populations that I'm looking at are female sex workers and recent migrants at the Mexico's and southern borders. And so having said that, I'm going to jump into 
today's paper, which is the third paper. The title is Homelessness and HIV and STI Sexually Transmitted Infections Among a Cohort of Sex Workers on the Border City of Tijuana, Mexico. So homelessness represents a particular social and physical environment that has been shown to impact the distribution of health inequalities and many several health adverse health outcomes. So some examples of factors that have been proven to be associated with homelessness are physical violence, given that people are exposed to the street, substance misuse, mental health, and there are a lot of studies in different countries that have shown that people who are living on the streets are more likely to use drugs, especially injection drug use, and so HIV prevalence is high among this population. And so there has been studies, now I'm going to make the connection um, between homelessness and sex work. There has been a lot of studies in Canada, Colombia, India, and in other countries that have found that people who live in the streets have higher odds of engaging in survival sex or, or in the sex trade, and they're also at higher risk for sexual exploitation. And so there are several studies cross-sectional that have analyzed the link between homelessness and unstable housing and how it, this impacts especially sex workers. So there are a few studies that have found that sex workers who are in an unstable housing or homelessness have higher odds of daily alcohol and use of crack, among other drugs. Also using using drugs before or while having sex with clients. They are at higher risk for sexual and physical violence. Also because they are living on the streets, they have higher odds of accepting more money for unprotected sex. And one study conducted in India found that they have higher odds of having a recent symptoms of sexually transmitted infections. However, because it's so hard to follow people who are homeless, because you, it's really hard to have them coming back to do visits, there's a scarcity of longitudinal research considering different factors like work environment and spatial factors associated with homelessness, especially among sex workers. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the background, and I know a lot of you are really familiar with Tijuana, but there are things that are important to mention, especially in the sex work and migration context. So as you know, Tijuana was a key point of entry, especially before the 90s, for international migrants coming to the U.S. And also Tijuana is a destination for internal migration. But in the late 90s, after a lot of enforcement in the US, people started to move to migrate to the east side of Mexico. So going through Arizona to the desert. And so what this made was instead of Tijuana being more like a cross, like a point of entry, Tijuana has been more like an in-between city where a lot of deportees are living and interacting and also now refugee asylum seekers. And so as you know, Tijuana is a really, really busy. Yeah. Is there a figure about the number of migrants, uh, even deported or just coming back on a voluntary basis or those who came to try to come to the U.S. Is there a figure about the number of migrants? Like the I mean, there are some calculations of homeless and injection drug users, and I will talk a little bit about that. I think it's like the last number was like 3,000, but I think that really underestimates the people who are just in between who were deported and stay there. I can look into it, but I don't have the number right now. Yeah. And so because Tijuana, it's so close to the border, there's a high you know, interaction of goods, people, drugs, and also there's a really big sex tourism going on in Tijuana. And so sex work in Tijuana is socially tolerated and quasi-regulated, especially in the Zona Norte, which is a red light district. There's sex work happening in other areas of Tijuana, and I'll show you the maps. 
And quasi-regulated means that sex workers need to have a health card, especially the ones that work in formal venues, like the one in the picture, which is like a formal bar. So women have to go every two weeks to a local health clinic and they get tested for HIV and different SDIs. And they have to pay a lot of money. This is not free. So many women choose not to have the health card. And there's a like, sorry? It's like 500 pesos each time they go. And I think they have to they have to pay the first time like 700 pesos. So it ends up being a lot of money, especially if you're working like in a hotel or like in a more streets. There's a diversity of sex work venues, such as hotels, massage parlors, and even public spaces. So women in more indoor informal places uh, are less likely to have a health card. And then... But they're not like... No, no, there's no. It's not seguro popular. It's just to show that they don't have HIV and or STI, so that clients are fine. This is a local government. There's a local health clinic in downtown, in this close to the Zona Norte, and this this is something that happens in other countries like Guatemala. I mean, there are we, we do nuances. This in the U.S. with sex workers here, so a sex worker can get get a diploma here. Also, and it's a two-way thing. On the one side, the system gets to see them very often, and so you want to be able to treat people who are sick. Yeah, the surprising part is not that, but the 500 pesos. Oh. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's not free. Is, yeah. And, yeah, and actually, in also in, in the Mexico, Guatemala, NGOs have tried to incorporate other services because they're going to the clinic, so it just even like pap smears, because they don't really offer anything else. Sometimes women just pay a fee for them to stamp the health card. So kind of, I mean, in the idea, this should this should be something positive, but it has a lot of nuances. I wanted to show you where the Zona Norte is, in case you don't know where it is. So that the blue points are the crossing entry, and I think it's kind of interesting that the Zona Norte is so close to the border. And it's also, I forgot to put this in the map, I will improve my maps. But the Zona Centro of Tijuana is right here. So it's Zona Norte is right next to everything happens. There's a lot of like restaurants, food. So it's just one block from the downtown Tijuana. And this is, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this is the Tijuana River. And this is the canal, which is where the river goes down. And before 2015, a lot of homeless people and drug users were living in the canal. There also were using drugs there. There were also some selling points in the El Canal. So for some of the numbers that I'm going to show, it's relevant to know. And I'll show you some pictures. There has been some studies considering the geographic center of the Zona Norte, where the, all the kind of sex work is more visible. And they have found that being close to the Zona Norte center is associated with higher access to certain services, which makes sense because the health, kind of the local health center is there. So there are sometimes more condoms available and STI prevention services, but also the Zona Norte center has been associated with higher concentration of HIV and STIs, police activity and drug use. So given all the context that I just gave, the goal of this paper is to assess the prevalence of individual social work environment and the spatial factors on perceived homelessness among a prospective cohort of women sex workers in Tijuana. I have two hypotheses right now. One is that being homeless will be associated with increased risk of HIV and STIs. 
also being kind of in an increased unsafe sex work environment in comparison to women who are, are non-homeless. And also in terms of kind of spatially, I think that women who are homeless will have higher odds of living and working in the same neighborhood to kind of like travel less from their living condition to where they work. So some study, some details of this study. This is this study called the Mapa de Salud project. Kimberly Brower uh, was a PI of this project. And the idea of this project was to assess the risks environment in Tijuana and in Ciudad Juarez. For this analysis, I'm only using the Tijuana data. And so 300, 301 participants were recruited for this study and it lasted 18 months. It has a, a baseline and then a follow-up every six months. And the way that women were invited was through modified time location sampling in indoors and outdoor sex, sex work. The idea was to invite participants from very different venues and there were no, they didn't recruit more than 15 women from each venue to have a diversity. And the field team would invite women to participate, they would screen for eligibility, and then if they accepted, they were invited to participate to, this, to go to the study office. So all the interviews were done in a confidential study office, which is in the, inside the red light district. There were two study offices, one in the east side of Tijuana. That's the one in the Sonano. And then the eligibility criteria for participants was to be biologically female, being older than 18 years old, have reported to exchange sex for money for four times with four different clients in the past month and willing and provide consent form. And something important was that all women were, were tested for HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis in sight, and then they had to accept to be treated for the STIs. So the idea of this is that if a woman came back after the baseline, and it had one of these STIs, it was a new, like an incident STI because they were treated before. And all participants were given $20 US for comp as compensation for their time. And so the survey included questions related to sociodemographics, a lot of questions about exposure to violence, living and working conditions, sexual like substance use behaviors, HIV knowledge, and interaction with law enforcement. So there, there was also geospatial data collected. So at each study visit, participants were asked to identify spatial location of where they live, work, and use drugs if they did. And something important to mention is that all women were given a, like an idea number. They were not, we didn't, were using their names. So to try to protect the confidentiality of, of the participants. And the way that these different points were identified was by using Google Maps. The field staff would kind of like help them to try to find the place and then they would show the exact point of living, working and where they use drugs. And this, all the procedures of this study was approved by UCSD and by the Colegio de la Frontera. So I'm going to go through my measures. I'm not going to give detail on every single one of them because I'm more interested in showing you my tables and my findings so far. So my dependent variable right now is perceived homelessness. And I know for people who are doing like economics or policy, this is not that intuitive because it's not kind of like an outcome. I'm trying to see what it, like the correlates and the prevalences with perceived homelessness. And so the way that this is defined, we asked participants if they thought, if they thought themselves as homeless, which means not having a stable place to live or living in the streets for the past six months. Women were also asked to list all the places where they slept in the past six months 
and then they were asked to choose their main living location. So if they slept in the streets, in parks, in hotels, and then choose what was like their main living place. So that's the one that I'm using for this analysis. So just to kind of mention, this is a bordo, this is a canal, and a lot of people were living there in the canal and also inside the alcantarillas. So for the independent variables, I'm using two different frameworks. Tim Rhodes developed a risk environment framework, which takes into account more structural and social variables to explain different risk outcomes, such as drug use. And so I am including individual level co-founders, but I'm also including social and work level environments and spatial level co-founders. So some of the individual variables include sociodemographics, also symptoms of depression, frequency of use and a variety of illicit drugs. And we ask them how often they use them and the different methods, modes of using drugs. For the social and work environment, I included living conditions, perceived safety while moving around the city, just to try to see if there's a difference between homeless and non-homeless, interaction with police, and the different characteristics of the work environment. And finally, for the kind of geospatial and structural data, I incorporated some questions about migration and mobility that I will show in a minute. Also, if they're living and working in the Zona Norte, and then if they're commuting to another neighborhood to work. And I will show you the maps in a second, but I was interested in seeing if women who perceive themselves homeless are, are, are traveling less from their house to their workplace. So for the data analysis, I did baseline descriptives, statistics and chi-squares, which is the first tables that I will show. And then I just ran some chi-squares to see if there was difference between women who reported being homeless and not. Yes. Sorry, just a question on the TV. Can one be like objectively homeless but perceived not to be? Yes. Does that happen? Like someone who maybe like feels like their home is this temporary place and they're not homeless, but they're like objectively. I mean, if so, if if they have a place to live, but they reported that they are that they are homeless, then I am considering them as homeless. But it, but yeah, it can be a case where someone has a place to sleep, but maybe they feel it's temporary and they don't feel that they have a home, because when I checked for the list of I slept in a hotel. Some of them said that they slept in a place where someone else rent. So I'm staying with you. So I'm not sleeping in the street, but I feel that I have like an unstable housing situation. So maybe I, instead of homelessness, maybe I should use unsta unstable housing. Yeah, I'm just wondering like what the, what the sort of social, social desirability aspect of saying that you're homeless, what kind of role that plays, especially if you're a, a working individual, right? You're not. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know if this is a thing. Yeah, and I mean, and that's something definitely to consider also in the limitations. And that's why I also checked for the places where they, because, you know, like, so you, you can see someone reported sleeping in the past six months in the street, in a park, in someone's house. So you are not all the time in a actual right. homeless situation, but you have like a kind of unstable or like precarious situation. But I think she was asking the opposite too. Did you see the people, and I, I don't think you did, but um, people who reported sleeping in these various places but didn't say they were homeless. Oh, I see. Yeah. I didn't check that. I mean, I checked for the places of everyone, and I, I'm, I'm showing some of them, but I could just yeah. check that yeah, to make sure. I don't think there was, but, but no, I don't. double check. That's a good question. Yeah, because maybe I'm considering some people who said they're not homeless. Like, no, I'm and not maybe they're, no, 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 yeah, but that's something good to, 
check. <laughs> yeah, I think this is something cultural mm -hmm. because you may have someone that say, well, why I have to live in, in a stable place, mm -hmm. you know? This is a way of living. Mm -hmm. I have seen this in Tokyo. Yeah, I will, I will double check that just to make sure that it's built properly. So I also did bivariate and multivariate multinomial logistic regression to identify the different factors associated with homelessness and using generalized estimating equations. And this method is useful for repeated measures, which I had, and also it takes into account the correlation within uh, subjects. So if someone said that they were baseline, they were homeless in one visit, it's take, it's, this method takes into consideration the correlation within visits. And then I also checked for potential collinearity and the model, the way that I built the model was using the hierarchical block method. So I, I checked for the different levels if they were associated with homelessness. And then I included the variables that were significant at 0.1 and then added it into the multivariate model. And I used SPSS to do this. And I used ArcGIS to do the geospatial, which I didn't include. So I know it's a little bit cut, but I will take you through the tables. So these, all the first tables that I'm showing are descriptive. This, this is from the baseline. So this is not including like the four visits. My final model will. And so I am only showing the percentages, so it wasn't too crowded. And the variables that are involved are the ones that were significant at 0 0.05. So there are differences between people who said that they, who perceived themselves as homeless and the ones who were not. And so syphilis was higher among women who are homeless. They also had, there was a significant difference in women who have kids living at their home, which makes sense. They also reported a high percentage of them feeling in a bad or extremely bad financial situation. I didn't use income because perceived financial situation may also include like debts or other different situations. So that's why I chose to use perceived financial situation. And symptoms of depression was measured with a scale that has 10 items. And if you have 10 points or more in that scale, it shows that you have, you may have symptoms of depression. So in terms of health services, and also you're gonna see that in some of these cells, I have just a few participants. So it was hard to do any analysis with this, but I think it's interesting to show that, for example, there's only one homeless participant who reported having a health card. And so, I mean, overall, the percentage is really low, but sorry, this is not one woman, this is 1%. It's, it's still really low, as well as health insurance. And then you cannot see that one, but that is if female sex workers are oftener always drunk or high before having sex, and it's also considerably higher. That's the second one is any injection drug use. And then the following one is any non-injection hard drug use. And all of those, it's higher among homeless. Then regarding the social and work environment, these are some of the descriptives that uh, are considering the living, this is, this is work environment. Live and work in the same place. I, I originally thought this was going to be higher overall. It's not completely different, but it's just, I thought it would be interesting to see if women are reporting living and working in the exact same place, especially among homeless. So this should be, this is a living condition, not the work environment. So they were asked if they own or rent a place. And so there's a lower percentage of women who own or rent a place, but they still reported this, even if they felt that they were homeless. 19% reported to live 
either in the street, canal or a public space. And then we also asked if they were living in a place connected to sex work. So for example, in a hotel. And we also asked overall if they felt safe in their home and 28% of homeless versus 11 said that they felt very unsafe or somewhat unsafe at home. So we also, I also analyzed for structural disruption and community violence because police activity is, some of them, they're concentrated in stopping drug use in the streets and sometimes homelessness is associated with drug use in the streets. So a high percentage of them reported to being arrested in the past six months. There was no difference in how they feel around the city, which I also think is interesting because 48% said that they don't feel safe moving around Tijuana. And then in terms of police sexual harassment and abuse, a higher percentage of homeless reported that this happened in the past six months. So this is a work environment variables. So 46% of homeless reported having sex either in, a, in the street, canal or other public space. And then I categorized the indoor informal and indoor formal. So indoor informal includes like a hotel, and then indoor formal includes like a bar. And then a lower percentage of homelessness reported working in a bar, which is kind of like a more formal venue. We also asked if they were free condoms available, which is, the, there was not really differences. If there are illicit drug use, and if they are selling drug use in the places where they work and also if they witnessed fight or a violence. I forgot to mention that also for the work environment places, we also asked them to list all the places where they exchange sex because women are doing this in different places and then also to list the main workplace. So this is all considering the main workplace where they exchange sex for money. And then also we asked them if they felt unsafe in the workplace. And although it's higher among homelessness, it wasn't significantly different. Can yeah. I ask about the previous one? This is interesting that indoor formal, so hotel, is not significant between these two. Yeah. So like they're basically the same rate of homeless and non-homeless. Working in... This might be my ignorance, but like who, who's paying for this hotel? So the, the way that it works, the client. So if a client goes to a hotel, they pay for the, the room and then they pay them. Yeah. That's why perhaps there's no difference there. Yeah, maybe. Because then in the bar, like the difference is... Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. in the bar, they, I mean, they need access to the bar, right? Yeah. And then usually, I mean, they have, sometimes they are required to have a health card difference than ours to work there. Yeah. Drugs and violence are really high in both. And witness a fight or a violence in the past six months is really high. And I mean, it, it's high overall in the, in the entire population, but then it's way higher among homeless. So in terms of client characteristics, and these are usually measures that you include when you are analyzing HIV and STIs because all of these may play an important role. So, so the first one is having 10, more, 10 or more different new clients in the past month. The second one is more than half or more clients are drunk at the time of sex, which there's not really different. But then if clients are high more than half of the times, it's way higher among women who perceive themselves as homeless. And then consistent condom use with new and regular clients is, is also lower, which I think it's also expected, but it's, it's significantly different. And then also any physical or sexual abuse by clients in the past month is also way higher. And so this is my last descriptive table. This is including spatial and structural confounders. So because all my dissertation is trying to look at m migration and mobility, I checked if participants have moved to Tijuana in the past five years. And although it's, I mean, it's significant at 0.05, and so it looks like 
women who are recent migrants might be at higher risk or have higher odds of having this unstable housing situation. I also checked for deportation and it's really low among non-homelessness, so I really couldn't include this variable, but it's, it is interesting that a higher percentage of women who perceive themselves as homeless were deported from the U.S. So words in the Zona Norte, it's kind of half of the, of the entire sample. There was not really difference there. And then leaves in the Zona Norte. And I also checked for leaves and works in the Zona Norte, thinking that women who are homeless might be more confined in the red light district. And then, and then living and working in the place located in the same neighborhood. So the way that I did that was to see if women are traveling to another neighborhood to work. And that's higher among homeless too. And then yesterday I was able to calculate the distance between the place where they live and the place where they work. And I checked if what was happening between these two populations. And almost 40% of women who are homeless are traveling less than one kilometer. So that means that they are really, they're just kind of, kind of confined. confined, yeah, in one place and that they are traveling less distance than women who are not homeless. So this is the final model that I have right now after checking for the different levels that I just showed you. And this is considering the four visits. So this is the final model G considering repeated measures. So as you can see, the only STI HIV that remained, but it's interesting is syphilis. Then any non-injection hard drug use was also higher. I know I have a wide confidence intervals, but this is because of the sample that I have. The And then more than half of clients high at the time of sex, moved to the interview city in the past five years, and then live and work in the same neighborhood. And I adjusted for kids living at home, years in sex work, and bad or extremely bad situation that were all associated with homelessness. What does uh, the coefficients uh, mean? Are they odds ratio? Oh, so odd ratio. adjusted odds ratio. Okay. Yeah. So they're basically, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious why syphilis is the only STI. Uh, why wouldn't there be a greater incidence across STIs? And it, was this at the time of the interview or in the course of their working lives? Because, uh, as I recall, the, 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 eight, the number of years in sex work was quite high. Was yeah, it yeah it's, it's higher among the ones who are homeless. So this is considering the four visits. So this is only considering the time that the study lasted. And so basically it's, it is considering syphilis across the different visits. But and at the time they were interviewed. Yes, yeah. exactly, because they were treated at the time of the interview. And the only one that remained was syphilis because the others were not. I mean, it doesn't mean that they don't have it, but it was the only one that remained significant with homelessness. And so I wanted to show you some maps that I did. This is all, but I wanted to kind of show the kind of different places where women are living and working. Uh, these are not individual points. I try to use kind of more density to not have like exactly every participant in one point because it could, this could also be used in a negative way. So as you remember, that's the Zona Norte and kind of downtown area mm -hmm. of Tijuana. This is everyone. So the green one is where they live, the red is where they work. And so this is the east side of Tijuana where the other office, study office was. And as you can see, I mean, the, the places where they live are more spread around the city, and there's kind of a high concentration around the Zona Norte and in the 
kind of more east side of the El Bordo. And then these, I try to compare if there were differences geographically between women who perceive themselves, themselves as homeless and not. And so I guess the main differences is that they're more spread around Tijuana, but I think that the places where they're working and they're living are pretty similar. And then there's a high concentration over there and there's an overlap because I think a lot of the women who are living at the Zona Norte are also working there and in other neighborhoods such as the east side of Tijuana. In the previous table, right, the, so I was just wondering, um, drug use, this is like a big thing in your, is it, uh, is it like tolerated, the use of certain types of drugs is tolerated all across Tijuana? Yeah. Or is there like some... Yeah, thank you. So, and I forgot to mention, hard drug use includes meth, heroin, and crack cocaine in any mode of uh, administration. And so in 2009, there was a narcomenudeo reform in Baja California that allows people to have a certain amount for personal use. However, the, the way that this is implemented is that police officers stop people and then they get detained for a few hours, even if they have like a small dose of heroin and all that. So even if, if it's, it's legal to have a personal use, a personal dose, it's still uh, criminalized especially in those areas. Oh, especially in the north part? Yes. So it's more enforced in the... It's more enforced, but it happens, it, it ha because it more. happens, yeah, it happens more. So there's police patrols going around, and if they see someone, they stop them, and if they find drugs, they confiscate it, and they put them in a detention center called La Veinte for 20 hours. The reason why I'm asking, I'm sorry to hold this up, but it's, uh, I'm, I was thinking about like sort of possible mechanisms of what you're, uh, you're, you're finding, right? And one of the, the story that you're telling from what I'm understanding is an enforcement story. Sort of there is a certain type of enforcement or non-enforcement that is happening in these areas that is creating these public health issues. Another one is a sort of simple socioeconomic story. Mm -hmm. It can be both at the same time. I'm trying to understand because of course, people who are, or, or, or women who are going to be homeless are probably going to be socioeconomically poorer, right? Uh, and therefore, mm -hmm. a lot of the things are going to correlate with that. Yeah. Or it may be coming from something like from the government enforcement part. So I don't know if that at all makes sense or... It's, you know, this is all tolerated and also kind of yeah. incentivized. You know, by one side, you don't want these things to happen, but you also want money coming from the U.S. So there's more enforcement, but at the same time, it's known that there are drugs available, there are, everyone knows where the selling points are and where they are. So it's kind of a mix of, and, and I think one of the motivations also to do this analysis was that there's this tendency to control, you know, like you, have, you, want, you want to have prostitution, but you want to have it in a confined space. Right, yeah. And so I think one of the motivations for cleaning the canal was that the new, the new crossing point was gonna go next to the canal. So all the people who are going to Tijuana would have seen all the homeless and drug users who were living there. So I think one of the main motivations to clean it was because it's going next to the Pet West. So you have these sex work and vice and crime, but you don't want it everywhere. You have this tendency to have it in a confined space. And I guess when it intersects with all other structural vulnerabilities like poverty, homeless, you have this overlap. And that takes me to my last slide or like the discussion of what to do with this analysis and I guess one of the obvious and evident things that it's that there needs to be structural interventions that address individual level factors but also poverty and homelessness 
because if you do different interventions more related to HIV and STIs, you are not really targeting what is happening in the other side of women's lives. And there's, there's extensive research and a lot of designs and interventions that are targeting sex work venues, because if you have women there, you know that if you increase the availability of condoms, they're gonna be, it's gonna be more likely that they use condoms, or if you use peer support interventions in the work venues. But I think this also shows that there's needs to be, or consider at least, the living conditions. Because even if you change the work environment, if these women are still being exposed to violence or to different things, they're going to be also at risk for STIs and other negative health outcomes. And I guess also considering the spatial and geography to maybe design or even consider programs or interventions might be useful, especially for really vulnerable populations vulnerable groups of sex workers such as this one. That's all I have. Thank you, uh, Gordon, and thank you, Kimberly, who's my advisor, who's here, and also the, the participants. Thank you for listening to the U.S. Mex Today podcast, the Center for U.S.-Mexican Studies at UC San Diego's School of Global Policy and Strategy contributes to the ongoing integration process between the U.S. and Mexico by providing a forum of thought leaders to engage in public dialogue and training. The Center supports a vibrant community of innovative scholars and practitioners who undertake cutting-edge research to guide policy decisions. For more information about the center, visit usmex.ucsd.edu and or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Till next time.